Good morning, church. My name is Siriel. I am from Costa Rica. I've been coming to the refuge for the last five or six years. And I get to serve with the worship team. And I also get to serve with the youth. I lead one of their um, study groups, the GC. So I'll be reading for you guys this morning. Um, but if you guys don't mind opening your Bibles into Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. And you can stand up alongside with me and read the Word of God. And the Word of God says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the beautiful word of the Lord. Thank you, Siri. Appreciate you reading that text for us. Uh, man, it's, it's, it's a good text for us to jump into today, and I'm gonna, uh, we're going to do that very thing, is jump right in. I'm, if you're new here, my name's Scott. I'm the teaching pastor at Refuge. We're glad you joined us today. We do expository preaching verse by verse through the text, and you can see where we are in Ephesians. So uh, I'll just say a big shout out to Pastor Paul uh, for preaching for us last week. He reminded us of a few things that I thought were very important for us to kind of just wrap up as we uh, roll into our text today. Uh, uh, he said that it was, uh, uh, he was Pastor Paul uh, writing the Apostle Paul's uh, uh, letter uh, so that Elder Paul was preaching. So uh, we will uh, uh, just keep on going from there. Uh, he reminded us that living uh, without God is an exercise in futility. Uh, and the, the Apostle Paul used these words to describe what that life was like. He used darkness, uh, ignorance, gratifying the flesh, and being alienated from God. That's what it looks like to live outside of being in fellowship with God. And, and honestly, many of us once walked this way, right? And two words that he reminds us of are what? But God, amen? But God, being rich in mercy, that's not part of this text, but God rescued us from that. And he gave us life in Christ Jesus. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. And now through grace-driven effort, those of us who are in Christ, who are called to live holy lives, and some of that we will cover what that looks like today. Uh, Pastor Paul reminded us that we don't fight this battle alone. Uh, that you, We use the weapons of grace. The first one of those is being Scripture the second being the blood of Christ, and the third being the promise of a new creation. 
And so uh, all of us who are in Christ are part of that new creation. We form a body. We form the church. And that's who Paul, again, was writing to. He's writing this letter to a church to remind them that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to live in the Spirit, that we are now one body. We are not divided any longer. There's nothing that should divide us. And I would say that same thing to us, church, today. There's nothing that should divide us, specifically as Refuge Church, but even globally as the church, we should not be divided over, over some things. Uh, that we're called to, that we are individuals, yes, but we are called to live as one body. We're called to walk in righteousness and holiness that's been given to us by God. And that was the, uh, the first words uh, that, that Siri wrote, or Siri read in verse 25. The first, ver- the first word is therefore, and that's what it's talking about. All about what Pastor Paul preached about last week and what uh, I just kind of gave a review for. Now, I think the key verse in our passage today is actually verse 30. Look what it says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul is saying that, hey, everything you do, if you do everything that I tell you to do here, you will not grieve the Holy Spirit. But if you fail to do the things that I'm going to tell you about today, that I'm writing to the church about today, then the Holy Spirit will be grieved. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit just a little bit. I believe that we as the Southern Church have a uh, tendency to acknowledge a Trinitarian theology, but we really don't live like a good Trinitarian theology most of the time. Trinitarian theology, if you're new to that terminology, is that we believe there is one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct persons of the Godhead. One God exists in three persons. God the Father is neither God the Son nor God the Spirit. God the Son is neither God the Father nor God the Spirit. And God the Spirit is neither God the Father nor God the Son. Got it? Tell that to your neighbor really quick. We'll cover it again at some point. But we are Trinitarians. means that all those are three distinct persons, all existing, all co-eternal, all co-equal, part of one Godhead. One God exists in three persons. But in reality, many of us live with like this dual theology, right? A dual theology instead of a Trinitarian theology. We acknowledge the Father, we acknowledge the Son, but we don't give much credence to the Holy Spirit. And we talk about the Spirit here at Refuge, probably more than any church I've ever been around, uh, for the most part. At least we talk about it rightly. Uh, I've said it before uh, that... uh, Many times people want to leave the Holy Spirit to uh, the Pentecostals and our charismatic friends, the televangelists, right? That seems to be where we want to leave the Spirit, over there with, with our crazy cousins, right? I'm, I'm, you know, I'll say it. Uh, y'all thinking it. Uh, I mean, honestly, we've all seen these outbursts of kind of ridiculousness in, on TV. Probably, you may have been a part of a church that was that way before. Uh, And honestly, I think it does a very disservice to our Trinitarian God whenever uh, whenever people uh, make a mockery out of the Godhead. And so um, I think it's a very a big disservice. It was Jesus, though, who talked about the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He said, and it's going to be better that way that I send the Holy Spirit. 
When I go away, the Holy Spirit will come, and he will indwell every believer. As soon as you become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God indwells you. There's not a second filling somewhere. There's not an extra thing that you have to do. You repent, believe the gospel, and the Holy Spirit of God fills you. Amen? That's what we believe the Scripture teaches us. And to have a theology uh, without a good understanding and the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is an anemic theology. And while we're here, uh, honestly, if our theology is anemic, then the lives that you and I live will be anemic as well. You may fill your life with things and being busy and your job may keep you busy and uh, leisure time may keep you busy and going to the lake or whatever the things are that we do in our free time that we like to fill our times with. But spiritually, you will struggle if you don't understand this. Living the Christian life will always be a struggle if this piece of theology is misunderstood. And honestly, that's kind of what Ephesians helps us through. Uh, the first three chapters are, are, are theological chapters. They lay some foundations about who Jesus is, about what the Godhead is, about what it looks to be born again, to, to be dead in our trespasses, to be filled, and for, the, for God to make us alive, and for God to be the author of salvation. Uh, and, and Paul was trying to get across to us that this very thing, that it's not just what you believe, but it's how you live out what you believe as well. Ephesians teaches us that. Theological think, uh, terminology all through the first three chapters and how that theology lives out in the last three chapters of Ephesians. Remember what Jesus' were, parting words were in John chapter 14? He says this, Let not your hearts be troubled. They were troubled because he was going away, and they were like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do now? I mean, Jesus, who we've been with, and we've seen him do all these amazing things, and he's going to leave us. What are we going to do? And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He says, I'll come to you again. And, and in that statement, um, he was talking about that, yes, he will bodily come to them again. But he told them this. He said, I'll send the comforter. I'll send another advocate. And that word means another. It means this in the Greek text, means another of the same kind. He said, I'll send another. Jesus said, I'm leaving you. I, your strength, the one you've drawn from, I'm leaving you, your encouragement. I'm leaving you, the one who has been your comforter all this time. But I'll send another one. And the works that he will enable you to do will be far greater than the works that I've even done here. How, that's crazy talk, right? But the fact remains that I believe that the Spirit of God remains a stranger even in his own church. He dwells the believer. He empowers us as a believer. He anoints the believer to do the work that he calls us to do. He seals the believer. He teaches the believer. The Holy Spirit is the active person of the Godhead, ever active today, convicting us of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The, uh, Jesus said the Spirit will come, and he will guide you into all truth. He even teaches us how to pray in times that you can't pray. You ever been to a place where you can't pray before? You don't even know the words to say? Jesus said the Spirit will teach us how to pray. He will pray on our behalf whenever we don't even know what the words are to say. Yet Francis Chan called the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. I feel like the reality is, uh, just as Paul came to the Ephesian disciples and said to them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And their answer came back to him, and he's like, we don't know nothing about no Holy Spirit. That's my translation. Uh, 
Is that the way you feel? Is that the way you live? Can you pinpoint some of the things that the Holy Spirit is actually doing in your life today? Can you think of anything specifically that you know the Spirit is in helping me do this? The Helper is helping me just like He said that He would help me. Or is the emptiness that's in your Christian life the emptiness of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And it could be encapsulated in a question like this. Are you grieving the Spirit? Or are you pleasing the Spirit? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit with the life that you're living? Or are you pleasing the Spirit in the life that you're living? This is, in essence, what Paul is writing about in these few verses. How do we know if we're pleasing the Spirit? How do we know if we are grieving the Spirit? Now, overall, we know that God is pleased with us through the righteousness of Jesus. But as Christians, we also know that Paul writes, and a lot of the New Testament writers write that us as Christians, once we have put, the, uh, put on Jesus, we are called to put off the old self and put on the new man, to put away some things and put on some things. It's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And, and so, but it grieves the Spirit whenever we choose to continue in our flesh. Let's look what Paul has to say about this. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away, let's see, there's something we've got to put away, put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And so Paul, right off the bat in this particular section, says this, Stop lying and speak the truth. Stop lying and speak the truth. Augustine long ago wrote a paper on lying. You probably ought to all read it today. We've become far too accustomed with words like these. White lies. Spin. Perspective. Or my truth. Ooh. Rather than seeking the truth. 1 John 2.21 tells us that no lie is of the truth. But at our, at our time today, and even in the church, there's this epidemic of falsehood. An epidemic of toying with the truth. Think about it. You watch commercials all the time, right? And they tell us all these things that are going to make us better. I mean, if you use this toothpaste, whenever you smile, there'll be a little gleam off your teeth. Ding! Right? You use that toothpaste, it'll work. Or if you drive this vehicle, you'll be the cool kid on the block. Or if you buy this certain insurance, then you, are, you, are, you love your family more than anybody else. Or if you go on yet another Todd Jerry diet, then... <laughs> You will look like Todd Jerry. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm throwing a stone at Todd. Look, I want to look like Todd Jerry. You should go on Todd Jerry's diet. I just struggle to stay on it. <laughs> not even kidding. Uh, but most of this, not the Todd Jerry thing, is simply falsehood. Okay? Most of this is just simply falsehood uh, that we see. And falsehood or stretching the truth has become the norm in our society. We've become used to it. We're desensitized to the stretching of the truth. And it seems so elementary, right? 
And it seems so like low bar stuff. Like why would the Apostle Paul even have to talk about this particular thing in the scriptures as he's writing to this church? Now, most of us who have come to know Jesus, most of us who have come and have repented of our sins, that that we become uh, a disciple of Jesus, we're called to move away from speaking falsehoods, like like distance ourselves from falsehood. We're called to speak the truth with our neighbor, and and Paul reminds us in verse 25, because we're members one with another. we're, We're all part of this same body together. Because honestly, he knows that speaking lies breaks brotherhood. We lie to one another, it breaks a brotherhood. Speaking lies makes it impossible for us to be in real fellowship with one another. Lies destroy churches. Lies destroy friendships. Lies destroy families. In the words of Jesus, our yes must be yes, and our no must be no. This sounds really simple. Honestly, it's really one of the most profound things that we are called to do as followers of Jesus. And honestly, it's the one most violated, sadly, even within the church. When you cannot depend on someone and what they tell you, what kind of relationship do you have with that person? So how do we lie today is the question. Uh, One of the most obvious things uh, is uh, doing one thing and saying one thing and doing another. And so we call it hypocrisy. And, you know, you've probably heard this, though, that the word hypocrisy comes from the, a Greek word, which means like an actor. Uh, and so somebody would stood, stand on stage, and he would wear a mask, and he would p- pretend to be something, and even though he was at that particular something. I have an example. Like, if I put this on, (laughs) and I tell you that I'm a Tennessee fan, you know that I'm what? Lying, Lying, yes. That is a lie from the pit of hell, okay? (laughs) That's a quick example, okay? I have another example. Like, if I put this on, and I tell you <laughs> that I'm Elvis, thank you very much, how, what, what am I? I'm like, how do you know that? Because Elvis is, there you go, okay, all right, you get the picture. All right, right, you tracking with me? So those would be lies, right? Those would be very obvious lies uh, that we tell. So saying one, pretending I'm something, that's hypocrisy. I'm saying I'm one thing, but I'm, act- or I'm doing one thing, but I'm actually something else. I'm saying I'm one thing, but I'm actually really something else. That's a really silly example, but we do it all the time. We live lives of hypocrisy, and that is not telling the truth. Sometimes we lie today uh, because we embellish stories. Somebody will tell us a story, right? And they will give us the facts about a particular story about someone else. And you might tell that story to somebody else which has its own issues, but you might add something to the story. And if you're adding something to the story that someone has told you, then you are not telling the truth about the story. 
You are dealing in lies when you live that way. It reminds me of a Seinfeld episode. There's a Seinfeld episode where uh, somebody's neighbor has a, a, a baby. And uh, they go, and Jerry and uh, Elaine and uh, Kramer and uh, George all go see the baby. And, they, and she holds the baby up. She's like, look at the baby. Could you see the baby and how pretty the baby is? And all of them come, and you can just see on their face. You know, they're, they're looking at the baby, and they're like, oh, it's beautiful. And then Kramer comes in, and he's like, oh, that's hideous, you know. <laughs> and so, like, the only person that told the truth in that was Kramer. You know, he's like, he didn't pull any punches. But every one of the other ones, they were lying. They were lying. How do we lie today? We exaggerate. Like, there are about 240 seats in our room today. And preachers are really bad about it, too. Preachers are bad. Like, sometimes people might come and go, hey, how many did y'all have on Sunday? Well, preachers have a tendency to exaggerate their numbers a little bit. And so, if I say, man, we had, I don't know, probably 300, that sounds better than, like, 208, right? What is that doing? It's lying. It's not telling the truth. Here's a reminder. The first sin that was judged publicly uh, in the early Christian church was the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. You know what they did? They lied. The Christian life is to be controlled by truth. Paul says, take off lying and put on truth. Paul says, let your yes be yes. Our no is to be no. Our word as Christians must be 100% trustworthy. Truth is a debt that Christians owe to all men. Think about it. What kind of confidence would anybody have in anything we say if we become liars? And if somebody thinks of me as a liar... Like, you can't trust anything that dude says. Like, he's going to embellish. He's not going to always tell the truth. Then why would anybody have any confidence when I share the gospel with them? If that's you, and you have a tendency to embellish the story and tell it just a little bit more flowery than you should, just exaggerate just a little bit. It's just a little white lie or whatever. Please stop doing that. Just tell the truth. Just tell the truth for what it is because you don't want to do anything that will hinder the opportunity that you may get to tell someone about the truth and the life-saving message of the gospel. Amen? Let us be people who speak the truth in every situation. All right, let's move on. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So we need to deal with our anger. Now, anger is not always wrong, I don't think. We'll ask that question in just a minute. Uh, Martin Luther said he never accomplished anything useful except when he was angry. You know, Luther, that could be true. There's anger displayed between believers today, too. And the question is, should this be the case? 
Should anger be displayed between believers? Well, I would say most of the time, the answer is no, because it's evidence many times, many times, that when we, we get into anger, usually it leads to something else, and the old man shows up again, right? The old flesh has a tendency to rear its head. And so the question has to become, is it unscriptural to say that all anger is sin? We know that God is angry with the wicked every, wicked every day, right? Jesus was angry at times whenever he was here on earth. Remember cleansing the temple? He didn't do that singing zippity doo dah. Zippity doo dah. Where did that come from? <laughs> That's what's in here. Zippity doo dah. Turn the tables. <laughs> there is a righteous anger. But though anger is not always wrong, it's always dangerous. Okay? Dangerous, anger can be dangerous. And so we have to be very careful. Paul quotes in verse 26, he says, he's quoting actually Psalm 4 to remind us that in your anger, do not sin. So he's saying, so he recognizes that we're going to be angry sometimes, but in your anger, don't be sinful. Parents, pay attention. In your anger at your children, do not be sinful. At your anger with one another, husbands and wives, do not sin. We may indeed be angry sometimes with the sinful nature of others. But Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He says that we should, from time to time, let our anger fester between one another, but not before a day is over. That we should actually get to our brothers and sisters, we should get to one another, and reconcile that anger before the day is actually even over. Why is he saying that, do you think? That's right. The more, dang, the more anger you have, the more dangerous it gets. And it becomes dangerous, especially within the church. If we become angry with one another and we don't deal with that anger with one another, it festers. And then that festering anger becomes sinful anger. And that sinful anger leads to typically more sinful things, more destructive talk, more destructive actions. And there becomes a division and a divide within Jesus's church. And that's not a place for us to live. Think about this. I have another example. Matches. Now, if a fire gets lit, and this is the anger, and it's real anger, because that's real fire, but I deal with it, and I blow it out. What's happened? What's happened? It's, it's happened. It's a real thing. It's happened, right? There was fire. Fire is dangerous. But I dealt with it, and I was able to put it out right away. But if I were to let that fire continue on, if I were to strike another match, and I were to let it burn and go, oh, man, you know what? I think I'm going to throw that over here in this bag. And then this bag's going to light on fire. And I'm like, it'll be fine. I'll deal with it later. And that bag continues to burn. And then the stage catches on fire. What happens next? This, this building goes up in flames really quick. And suddenly we burn the house down with something that could have been prevented early on. Now that's a very simple, I get it. 
that sometimes our anger toward people is much more simplistic than blowing out a match, or blowing out a match is much more simplistic than dealing with the anger. But the principle is, and Paul is saying the same principle, that we need to deal with this and deal with it quickly so it doesn't rage out of control. See that, church? And I know that you know times that it has raged out of control. You may be in the middle of a wildfire right now. Encourage you to try to put it out. And if you need help to put the wildfire out, ask for help to put the wildfire out. Unconfessed sin, harboring feelings, of, especially against a brother or sister, is breeding ground for our enemy. Breeding ground. That's why Paul goes on to say in verse 27, give no opportunity for the devil. Give no opportunity to the devil. Follower of Jesus, you are our enemy, the devil's target. Especially if you're trying to put to death worldly things in you. If you're trying to do what Paul says here in Ephesians and in many other places in the New Testament, if you're trying to put some things to death, you become a target. You become a target for the enemy. And we're talking about anger that Paul's talking about in this particular context. It, being angry and not sinning is tough. Amen? It's okay to agree with that. I, I get it. Believe me, I get it. Anyone can become angry. Be angry with the right person to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way. That's not easy. One of the Puritans uh, had this to say. What may start out as proper anger becomes pride and then evil in itself and it can become dishonorable to God uh, being a vomit of a proud heart, unmeekened in spirit. Another Puritan said this, I am determined so to be angry and not to sin. I am determined to be angry and sin not. Therefore, the way I do it is to be angry at nothing but sin. If you want to be angry with something, be angry with everything that is sin and leave no room for the devil. Give no opportunity. Say no opportunity. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let's move on. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather give, uh, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, think about this. Why do you think Paul had to tell Christians not to steal? That's what he wrote. Don't steal. Now, in this day, uh, the, the letter was written to the church at Ephesus. There were people that had to survive that had steal to survive in the day. Sounds like somewhat today, right? I and mean, there are people that have to steal to survive today. People get hungry. People don't have a place to live. Uh, we, we meet people here all the time at refuge uh, that don't have a place to stay, looking for a place to get out of the weather. Don't have anything to eat. Don't have any money. Don't have a job. They're coming up. We're helping them, and honestly, if we didn't help them and nobody else helped them, they might have to steal something. And now, for the most part, those of us who are listening in this room and, and probably most people who are listening online don't have to steal to survive. We, we don't have to take from somebody else for us to survive every day, for us to pay our bills, for us to feed our family. Most of us don't have to, by God's grace, have to, have to steal or do anything like that. But Paul wrote to Christians during that day, and we're reading it today, to no longer steal. It's one of the Ten Commandments. 
He'd say the same thing to us today. So what would that mean to us in 2022? What it could mean is what Paul says even here. Maybe you need to get a job. That could be number one. Get a job. If you're here, I'll, I'll say this. If you're in this room, you're part of Refuge Church, you're able to work, get to it. Work. Get a job. Support your family. Don't live off the generosity of others if you have the ability to work. That's in the Bible. Let the thief no longer steal. Rather, let him do labor by doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, get a job so you can provide for your own needs and help other people. It could also mean this. Stop stealing by paying the debts that you owe. You trying to skis out on not paying somebody? There's my word again. That means you trying to dip out? Pay people what you owe them. It could mean work the hours that you're supposed to work in your job. Are you supposed to work a 40-hour-a-week job, but you're only working 30? Work your hours. That's what they're paying you to do. Could be not lying on your expense reports, business people. I've done it. I told the whole truth on an expense report before. That's not who we are. It's not how we live. It means don't defraud, don't defraud your insurance company. It means pay back what you owe. It means let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And on the work front, why do we work? So we can buy more stuff for our kids? It's not one. By no, Paul would say by no means. That's not why we work. Yeah, should we buy stuff for our children? Of course we should. We should provide for our children. But Paul says, so that we may have something to share with others in need. That's why we work. He says, look, work, do honest work, so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. We get lots of opportunities to help people here at Refuge. Uh, and honestly, that comes to the building. And, and honestly, we, there, there's opportunities to do that in just in everyday life as you encounter people. If we're working and, and earning them, living and stewarding the money that God gives us, uh, then, then if you're doing that well, then when someone comes to you that has a need, you have the opportunity and typically the means to help them. And my encouragement would just be to actually help them. Ever wonder if you should give a few bucks to seemingly random men and women on the street corner with those cardboard signs? Like when you pull up, like you're going to turn into Walmart, and, and, and there's this dude or a girl there on the, on the sign. It's got a cardboard sign, help, you know, my children are homeless, and I haven't eaten in three days, and uh, God bless you, you know, that sign. Ever wonder if you should help them? Ever wonder if you should go put gas in somebody's car at the gas station? You know, you get approached at the gas station. Hey, can, you know, you got $10 or $5, you can put some gas in my car. Ever wonder if you should help them put some gas in their car? Ever wonder if you should buy a meal for someone out of the blue, like you just at a restaurant or you're driving through uh, the Lord's Chicken on any day but Sunday and, and, uh, and you're buying some food and you feel prompted to buy someone else's food? Should you do that or should you not? Am I enabling people if I do that? 
My answer is, if the Spirit moves you to do it, do what we say here at Refuge. Go with the ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. Go with the ghost. What would the Holy Spirit be prompting you to do? Is the Spirit prompting you to help somebody? Honestly, if the Spirit is prompting you to help somebody do something, you know what you should do? Say it all together. Help them. Help them. Well, preacher, what if I give somebody some money and they're just going to go spend it on liquor? Or what if they're going to buy some dope with it and shoot it in their arm? You know what? That's not your problem. You're called to be obedient to the Lord. You're called to be obedient to the Lord prompting you to do something, obedient to the Spirit's prompting. And what someone chooses to do with the help you give them is not on you. It's on them. If you're being obedient to what God calls you to do, then you are responding to the Spirit the way you should respond to the Spirit. Okay? Look, in this section, Paul is saying, one, stop stealing from others. Stop stealing people's time and money and possessions. Work the hours you're called to work and help those in need. That's what he's saying. Keep going, verse 29. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, let's all pay attention here. Let me read that verse again. You just look at it and read it, look at it, and read it with me. Look at it. Let no one, no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let me stop right there. Teenagers in my house and other houses, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who, who hear. Now, in the original language, a corrupting talk means filthy communications, suggestive stories, off-color jokes, profanity, obscenity, vile language. Tracking with me? But here, there's also a wider meaning. And it can mean a conversation that's just worthless. Like just Worthless conversation. Empty, idle chatter. It's what this can kind of mean. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your mouth, your language, says a lot about you. Says a lot about you. Like literally says a lot about you. How much filthy communication and vile language should come out of our mouths? Who says zero? Raise your hands. Who says more than zero? Raise your hands. Okay, y'all all got that one right. On the contrary, what should come out of our mouths is edif- words of edification, words that build up. And what if this was our practice, church? What if this was our practice to build one another up? What if the practice of Christians, and, and we'll just use our church, what if the practice of Refuge Church was to use our language to build people up? 
What if the next words you spoke to someone were words of encouragement? What if the next words you spoke to someone are words that cultivate relationships with Jesus, contribute to the growth of someone's spiritual growth? And so that begs the question, will you be one of these? A church wrecker or a church builder? You have that ability, even within your voice, the words that you speak to do this very thing. No matter if you're in this church or if you decide to leave this church and go to another church or in the church where you were before or if you're watching on TV, whatever church that you regularly go to, you have the ability to be either a church wrecker or a church builder. And as a follower of Jesus, this verse gives us clear instructions that the obvious answer is that the words that we're called to use should be grace-filled filled with grace, edifying words toward one another. Amen? And he goes on and says this in verse 30, and what we talked about in the very beginning, which I think is the crux of this passage, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. To grieve the Holy Spirit of God literally means to pain the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, it's better for him to go away and for him to send the helper to us. That's what he said. It's better for the Holy Spirit to come and the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us live in the way that Paul is writing to the church here. He gives us the opportunity to live with this trajectory that he's calling us to and writing us to in his letters. Think about it on a human level. You and I care and instruct our children on a regular basis. Like, if we're raising our children, we care for them, and we instruct them. We're like, stay away from this, and don't do that, and don't talk to that ugly boy, and because he's trouble, you know, and, and uh, you know, uh, and, and so is that girl. I mean, she's tr- got trouble written all of her. And you, t- you talk to our kids about all that kind of stuff. And like, don't go to these places. And, you know, you should do these things. You, all these things that we just, for years and years and years, we disciple our kids with the things we say and the things we do, right? Yet sometimes our children choose to go down destructive paths of their own, right? I mean, they're, all, they're, they're their own individual person. They are. No matter how much control parents, oh, by the way, but you think that you actually have over your children, they are their own individual people. They have minds of their own, wills of their own, and they actually make their own decisions. And they do some things that you know that are not beneficial to them. How does that make you feel? That wrecks your heart, right? I mean, it just crushes us whenever our children go down those kind of pathways. Well, much more so is our sin against the holy and righteous God. It grieves the Spirit whenever we live contrary to the way that He calls us, to the life that He calls us to live. Paul writes that it is the Holy Spirit that seals us until the day of our redemption. He is the one holding on to you. You're not holding on to Him. He's holding on to you, sealing you, guaranteeing you until you see Jesus. Such grace. Why would we want to live another way? And so as not to grieve the Holy Spirit, he goes on and says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He's like, hey, these are ways that we don't grieve the Spirit. So you say, well, what is bitterness, preacher? Well, bitterness is that smoldering resentment that just lives within you towards somebody else. You know what I'm talking about. You know who it is. That smoldering thing. You just go, 
that smoldering resentment, unwillingness to forgive, that harsh feeling, Paul says, put it away. What about wrath? What is that? That's like bursts of rage. Temper tantrums. I don't get my way and I'll just go to, I'm going to find a way to get my way. You know what Paul said? Put it away. What about anger? I'll talk to us dads. That's grouchiness. Animosity. Hostility that builds within us. That anger that kind of comes from time to time. You know what he says? Put it away. What's clamor? That's not a word we use a lot. Clamor is like angrily fighting. Teenagers, this is for you. That clamor where you always got a lip about something. Where you always arguing about something. Bickering, shouting down opponents. Trying to get the last word in. You know what he says? Put it away. What about slander? What is that? That's abusive speech that I'm, that I'm leveling toward you. Slander. Trying to make a bad name of your name. Saying things about you to make people think badly about you. You know what he says? Put it away. What malice? You know what that is? That's wishing evil on other people. Hatred within my heart towards somebody because I don't like that person and I don't want good things for that person. You know what he says to do with that? Put it away. You don't need me to talk any further about those. Here's the last thing I'll say about that. The very thing that we use to, to um, destroy people with most of these things is our tongue should be used to build people up in the faith. Change this, Paul's saying. Use this for good. Use your tongue for good, for building people up. Put all this bad stuff away from you. And look what he says in verse 32. So that you can move away from these, you can do these things. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so he says, first off, three things. Kindness, which is unselfish concern for yourself, unselfish concern for others like you need some help i'm going to be kind to you and i'm going to help you tenderheartedness means to be have some sympathy towards other people and forgiving my goodness means to pardon someone's offenses those things that people sin against you he says we should instead forgive people and then he closes it with a way that we christians have to live in just as God in Christ forgave you. I always say this, that if we are holding someone's sin against them, and we're unwilling to forgive someone's sin, then we are holding a higher standard standard for that person than God is holding against us. Whenever we repented of our sins, put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, God has forgiven all of our sins, right? How many of them? All of them. All of them, past, present, future sins, are covered under the blood of Jesus, and God has wiped them all away from our slate. And he has chosen to forgive us them, all of them. 
against a holy and righteous God. And whenever we have the audacity to hold someone's sins against them, then we are holding them to a higher standard than the God of the universe even holds us to. Who do we think we are? So the, the glaring question is this. Are you living in the Spirit? Are you grieving the Spirit? Does your life bring edification to others? Or does your life and your lips bring division and turmoil and arguments between others? Are you grieving the Spirit even right now? If so, repent. Even now. Are you holding a grudge against someone, something you've been holding on to for a long time, being unforgiving? If so, repent today, even right now. Are you unsure about your standing with God? Repent today. Even right now. Let me be clear. God is patient with us. Even when we're grieving the Spirit, even when we're doing these things, God is patient with us. God is not touchy, or God is not explosive. God is not hacked off. As Ray Ortland would say, He's patient with us. And still, there's no better time than today to be reconciled to God and to each other. Let today be the day that you put off the old self. That you finally put off the old self and you put on the new self. You put off the old habits and you put on the new habits. You put your flesh to death. You put on Christ and live in the Spirit. Today. Let me pray for us.